Good morning, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Someone You Should Know. We're glad you set aside the time to be with us this uh, Friday morning for the live show. And uh, we're looking forward to a, a great conversation because uh, unless you're living under a rock someplace, you know what's been going on all week long uh, this, this nation. And it raises a lot of interest. It raises a lot of questions. Uh, it, some cases it might raise a little bit of anger, uh, but what I'm seeing more so is it's raising a lot more compassion. And I wanted to be able to make this the the, the, the focus of uh, someone you should know. So I have invited two very good friends and uh, two people who represent what our city of Frisco, Texas is all about. And uh, hopefully you will in your cities, wherever you're watching this show from, you see what these two gentlemen represent in our community and make sure that it is carried forward in your community. So I would like to welcome to the show uh, uh, Evan Matei and also Officer Gene Willis. Uh, well, thank you very, very much for being on the show. And first of all, thank you for everything that you do for our community. We appreciate it. Thank you for that. Thanks, Stu. It's good to see you this morning. It, it, you know, this has been a a, uh, a week that's that's almost like watching a, a juggling act uh, because there's been so many components that go along with what what has happened uh, since the, the the recent uh, situation in Minneapolis. Uh, and from a perspective of someone who is in law enforcement. I'll give you an observance. Right away, I think everyone was just completely incensed and maybe for different reasons. What, uh, what, what happened uh, in, in, in Minneapolis was tragic. The black community, they were outraged that it happened because it's happened before. Uh, from the white community, it was a, a, a matter of why. From the police community, it was interesting because, you know, it was something that shouldn't have happened. And, and I, I think that's a fair statement. And a lot of police came forward, especially police chiefs, and said that what happened shouldn't have happened. I'd like to get your perspective uh, uh, on that. Uh, what did you, as police officers, what was your immediate you know, thoughts on, on what happened when you turned the news on and saw this tragedy? Well, I think, you know, for us, the first, the, the, the first instinct that, that cops and police officers have is, you know, what else is there to the story? You know, we've seen too many times where, you know, something happens and it turns out that the initial belief is incorrect. And so, you know, me personally, that was that was my first reaction. Um, however, after getting past that reaction and realizing what what happened, um, it was an absolutely a like you said would never have happened. Um, it's it's something that uh, we are not trained to do. Um, it's something that we don't practice. Um, and, you know, the fact that, you know, Mr. Floyd was never, uh, 
uh, sat sat up into a position to get him the help he needed um, or that his pleas for help were ignored is just flatly unacceptable. Um, it was disheartening to know that that this is something um, that, 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 that happened and has, you know, to some extent rightly uh, sparked the conversations that are coming from it. Um, it's, it's, it's hard to believe we're in this position ag ag again. Um, but, you know, at, at some point we have to really take a deep, hard look in the mirror, Stu, and say, okay, what is happening? What are the reforms that are being called for? Um, how are we already doing some of those? And what can we do better? And, and, and how are we going to live up to the expectations that the community has for us as a police department um, through our actions? And, and, it, and you know, our, our chief response was one of the first ones that, you know, as you mentioned, came out and, and responded against it. And you know, his big thing is, you know, what are we going to do with our actions? Our actions are going to speak louder than our words. Um, and, and what are we going to do with our actions and by our actions to demonstrate that, number one, um, we do not condone what happened in Minneapolis. But number two, we are committed to ensuring that we have practices, policies and a culture in place within our department that uh, will prevent this from happening. Yeah, I think one of, the, one of the hardest things for, for me to, to visualize on a national basis is immediately because the police acted in an unprofessional way, uh, that the focus turned from the black community to, you know, being anti-police all over again. And I know personally what you, your your division, what you, you work in community service, uh, you guys just go through so much to to reach out to the community, to partner with the community, with the school system, with the general community, with all of the religious and ethnic groups that, that we have in our diversified city. You spend so much time building those walls of only for something like this to, to happen that seems to almost tear down that wall immediately and you've got to start at the bottom and build up again. And, and, you know, I, you know, so I would, I would say, is that something that is becomes difficult for you to see, oh my gosh, everything that we've done now, we've got to go back and we've got to reinforce all those programs that we started to make people see that that's not what the police is about, it's an isolated incident. Well, and I'll, uh, you know, a lot of the things that Sergeant Matei had said earlier uh, were right on and, it was even harder than that from in this instance because we pro we saw it before it became mainstream. Uh, I just happened to be scrolling through and we started talking about it. And while we're while we are police officers and while even more involved in the community, we're community services officers. First off, we're we're humans and we just watched a man lose his life. So the human side of it is, knows what we have seen, and you try to process that. Uh, and then your your training kicks in and you're wondering what you're not seeing. We're also natural information gatherers. So then we're trying to see what we miss. Uh, but ultimately what we had seen is a, is a man lose his life. And 
no matter who you are and, and how many times you've seen a situation where someone's lost their life, it still affects you. And especially the way that the video was played out, it was a man, you know, he was, he was pleading for his life and, and ultimately every viewer and everyone that's seen that video saw, saw a man lose his life. So you first try to grasp that. Uh, and then from our perspective, you know, about how we try to reach out to our community, we're going to continue to do everything that we've always done. We're going to continue to build experiences so that people know that what we do is a noble profession. We do this for the right reason. Uh, personally, I, I'm in this profession because I feel like I was called by God to, to be a police officer. It's all I've ever wanted to do. And uh, as corny as it sounds sometimes, when you talk to people, we got into this job to help people. We had the urge to go and help others because of something that happened in our lives or, or someone in our lives. And ultimately, it's, that's never going to change. Uh, so whenever this happened and we decided, you know, what do we do? We decided how we were going to mend this with our community. Uh, and a lot of that is reactive and how the community, you know, speaks out to us and then we'll react to them. So naturally, those were my first thoughts as I was watching it. And then as a group, what we knew we had to do is react to the hurt that was going to come from our community. And there were so many within the police community that said, you know what, don't don't look at all of us and criticize us as a profession because we're hurting just like you are. That was one thing, and I don't remember who the police chief was that said, you know, don't criticize us because we're with you. We believe the same thing, that this was wrong. This never should have happened. And we are hurting just as much as you are, and we're standing right with you to make sure that this is a learning experience and that, unfortunately, at the loss of, of Mr. Floyd's life, that this never happens again. And that it's... I'm gonna. I'm gonna ask you. It might be a tough question, but the breakdown in the training of these police officers to allow to, to make such a bad call. It, was it just the bad decision of this one officer, uh, just along for the ride, if you will, or do you see it as maybe there was a breakdown a little further up in, that they weren't trained enough to know that this is not. This is not a tactic. Yes, too. I don't. I don't know that we're educated enough in, you know, what happens in another part of the country to be able to accurately answer that question. Um, I think, uh, you know, if that happens here, you know, for for uh, example, you know, what we have in in, in place are, you know, our our policy and procedures to. Um, prevent that from happening. One of those things is, you know, our department doesn't allow um, the impeding of, of breath or blood circulation unless that there is a, a, uh, a deadly and imminent threat against, uh, you know, the officer or another person. Um, you know, we are trained uh, to not apply that technique. In fact, we're, we're, we're not only trained in to not apply the technique, we're not even trained in applying the technique to begin with. Uh, and, 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 you know, we're, we're taught that that is um, something that you just don't do um, because of the deadly and fatal risks that it poses. Um, we're, 
we're taught uh, what what you're looking at here is something that you know as a police department we and, and in, within policing we call a positional asphyxiation um and so and what that is is that in a compromised position like that where somebody is on their stomach and you have the weight of another human or a weight of anything on your back that is that is not allowing the oxygen to properly circulate within the, the, the human body and um, you know we are taught here in, in Frisco and we've had several instances of officers saying okay you're cuffed now it's secure sit you up like that's just what you do next is to sit the person up um, leaving them in that position every officer here knows is highly highly dangerous um and there are, i can't really think of a situation in which leaving a handcuffed person on their stomach with you sitting on them uh is in any way shape or form something that uh should ever be done so as far as a breakdown in, in training in minneapolis you know like i said we we can't speak to that um, and, and i don't think it would be right for us to speculate on their policy uh, on their procedure and, and on their level of training but what i can tell you is you know our department is uh trained and, and our officers are trained to not do that um and that's that's just one of the things that we're we're trained in that helps in the preservation and protection of human life in our, uh, when we're doing our job. You mentioned training. What is the, the, the training process for someone to become a police The length of time and, and the training regimen that you, that you go through um, a police officer? It's a very lengthy process. Um, you know, obviously, number one is just getting hired by a police department. Um, to get hired here, you have to pass a lengthy background investigation. Um, take a take an exam, a, a physical exam, a psychological exam, um, and a, 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 a polygraph to make sure that everything that you have done to this point is is truthful. Um, once you're hired, you uh, begin your 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 career here as a as a recruit. If you um, if you haven't had any law enforcement experience whatsoever, we send you to a basic police academy. Uh, that academy is at this point around 28 weeks. So you're talking, you know, six longer than than a, than a six month period. Um, after that, we bring you into uh, the police department, uh, and you're trained in what we call a mini academy. That's about five to six weeks additional to that, where we tell you, okay, you've learned the basics of what it means to be a police officer. Now we're going to teach you the basics of what it means to be a police officer in Frisco. These are our policies. These are our procedures. We're going to take you back through firearms and teach you how we do things. We're going to take you back through defensive tactics. We're going to take you through uh, verbal de-escalation. Uh, we're going to take you uh, through uh, uh, diversity training. Um, to because in Frisco, we you said earlier we have such a wide, diverse uh, group of citizens here in you know this this city of two hundred thousand or so um, that you know police officers have to know how to interact with each individual's uh, pieces of those communities differently. Um, because there are different cultural expectations. There are different cultural norms. Uh, police officers are viewed differently by different cultures for different reasons. Um, so once we teach you all of, all of these things in our mini academy, we then take you into field training. Uh, that field training process lasts anywhere from 17 to 
uh, another 20 weeks. So from the date of hire, uh, if you're doing math here, from the date of hire uh, to the time that an officer is out on their own um, by themselves performing the function of police officer within the city of Frisco, it's about a year. Um, it's, it, it's, a, it's a full year, year process. Now that's, that's what we do here. Other agencies uh, may have more or less training depending on, on where you are in the, uh, in the country. Um, so, uh, you know, we, 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 we pride ourselves on, on hiring officers that we know are going to uphold the professional standards that our community expects of us uh, and that we expect of ourselves as uh, human beings. Gene, you mentioned that you always wanted to be a police officer ever since you were young. Uh, and I'm sure that there are, there are an awful lot of police officers that do say, this is what, ever since I was, I was young, I wanted to go, grow up and I wanted to be a police officer. However, there are also pe uh, uh, those that have maybe gone through the military and maybe served in the military and then gone in, into law enforcement. Maybe they were, maybe they were uh, uh, part of the, why is it escaping me, uh, uh, military. Um, uh, I'll, I'll think of it. I'm an old guy, so sometimes it escapes me. But and there are those that maybe come from from a corporate background that that you know have been in, in corporate America for for a number of years. And so, you know, I've always had that longing to go into law enforcement, and I think I want to leave my previous profession and go into law enforcement. Do you find that e even in our uh, department? That there are there's a diverse group of that have come either mainstream that's all they ever wanted to do, but or there are also those that that have said, you know, I would like to become a police officer. Yeah, absolutely. There's a there's a mix of, of both. Uh, I you know for myself it was uh, it's what I always wanted to do, uh, so there was no other option to me. This is what I you know I put all my eggs in this basket and. I'm glad that I've had an 18-year career in law enforcement. So for others, you know, we see, you know, people from all kinds of backgrounds and uh, all kinds of experience levels come in. And, you know, sometimes it's, it's something that they've thought about earlier in their life. And then they started a job for whatever reason and stayed there. And it's just an, just an itch that they could never get rid of and, and ultimately took us, you know, took a leap of faith and decided to, to make that switch and, and see if it was all that they thought it was. And then, you know, on the other side of that, we have some people that get into law enforcement and realize pretty early on, this isn't for me. And they have to ultimately be able to make that decision that, you know, while, you know, it's the prideful thing would be just to, just to try to work it out and, and stay in this career that you thought you wanted. They have to look at themselves and realize that this isn't the career that uh, they thought it was going to be. And they ultimately have to make the best decision for them and, and step out of the, you know, the law enforcement spectrum and find something that better meets them. But I think here in Frisco, we have a we have a wide variety of, of people from all different backgrounds. Uh, so it's not just a, a bunch of guys that grew up always wanting to be cops. There's there's people that have come from corporate America and, and lots of uh, military people that once they uh, finished their service for our country, decided to come and serve their community. Is it fair? Is it fair to say that you have to have a certain a certain calling to serve as a police officer? Just as uh, I, 
thinking about our other first responders, our our firefighters, our currently now some of our healthcare workers. There is nothing about knowing that if I choose this profession, I'm putting my life on the line. Uh, that I am I'm entering a dangerous profession. Willing to accept that, study for it, train for it, do whatever is necessary, and I think it takes a, a, a special personality to be able to do that. And is that part of that growing, ingrown feeling that you had when you decided to go into law enforcement? Is that I realize the risk and I'm willing to take that risk? I don't think. I don't think it's that we're. Uh, a special kind of person. I think that what we are is, is someone that ultimately wants to to help others. You know, we're we're selfless. I think that's the hardest thing sometimes for the community to understand that that doesn't have an experience in law enforcement is ultimately I'm I'm willing to sacrifice myself if it means saving someone else. Uh and so that means that I'm going to put my family at a certain risk of, of not having me around. And that's why I think that this profession is a calling from God, because something that you're willing to risk so much for and you're still willing to do it. Uh, I can see it as nothing other than a calling from, a, you know, from from God. Uh, so, you know, I think that's that's the hardest thing to understand and is when people you know, see a police officer and they don't understand that some of the things that have been said to us and, you know, when people, you know, when you talked about uh, people criticizing us earlier, it really doesn't affect how we're going to do our job. Uh, things that have been said to me in, in my career, because I have had such a long career, there's been some pretty bad things said about me and anything that I care about. And nowhere in my mind did it ever change the fact that no matter what was said, I'm, I still have a service uh, obligation to that person that if something bad was to about to happen to them, I would risk my life to still save them. And I think that's a concept that's hard for a lot of people to understand that when they see these officers that, you know, right now there, there is a lot of criticism and, and some of it is rightfully so with, what we just saw that happened to Mr. Floyd, uh, their right to criticize that officer. And so we're all going to take on that burden now. So when we get those criticisms, I think it's hard for someone that doesn't have that same uh, servitude heart to say, well, they're not going to help that person because some of the best people that I know put a badge on their chest every day. And I think that the people that I know would still not hesitate to respond to any call, no matter who was calling for help. I think that's a hard concept for some people to understand. Uh, I, you said something earlier that that struck a chord with me, and you said, you know, you don't you don't see yourself as anything other than just just a police officer doing his job. You don't see yourself as as, as a they use that word a lot, hero. I think that there is a growing society around you that realizes that you, as well as our firefighters and our healthcare professionals, do deserve a little bit more of that hero status because you are, you are again, are putting yourself in danger. Uh, 
those of us today, right now, with the COVID-19 epidemic, those of us that are walking into a store without on our faces and, and, and interacting with other people that are doing the same thing, putting ourselves at risk also, but on a, on a much smaller scale. You do it, you do it every day. And I think that, that the point I'm trying to make is that you are, you're in the community services part of your department. And I am so impressed with what you and, and the others that are in your department have done to interact with the community. You do it in the schools, in the community. We were talking just before the show about uh, a program that you, you've had over the years called uh, Coffee where you would all get together at one of the local coffee and donut shops uh, and all invite the public to come in and shake hands and talk, ask questions, interact. I think it's a good program, not only for adults to be involved in, but especially for the children. Because I grew up in the 60s and there was a very, very, very much more animosity between the police and the the public community. I went. I went through the Vietnam era with the burning of the draft uh, cards and and a lot of resistance between uh, protesters and the police. And I think a lot of it was a lack of education and interaction with the police department. I'm so impressed that that our police department in Frisco, and I, which I can stay say this to those program all over the country that wherever there is a program to interact with the public it's a it's a positive step forward in understanding what your police department is about and what it's there for so to the police to the people that are listening if you don't have a program in your city of, of interaction with your police departments reach out to them and, and ask them if they they would start one or should start one. And if not, get involved with, with the citizens in your communities to be more involved with the police departments. And and if if you know someone in your police department and all, if you have a program, get involved in that. You have a citizens uh, police academy program that, that allows citizens to, to learn more about what you're doing and be an extra set of eyes and ears in the community. Great program. More cities probably should have those programs. You mentioned that you mentioned that each department has their own really training programs, but is there some kind of a basic foundation uh, that is maybe utilized on more of a state or national level? Uh, certain protocols that that all police departments should follow, or are they simply to their own protocol? Well. <laughs> that's, that's, um, that, that's kind of a multi-part question. So, you know, at the base level, we're I'm sorry, about, I, I I have a tendency to do that. <laughs> so, so what you're what you're kind of kind of talking about? So, at the at the base level, when an officer goes to the uh, academy, they're they're taught and they're trained uh, the standards that the state, the Texas Commission on Law Enforcement, or um, uh, TCOL for short, uh, that that TCOL says these are the minimum basics that we want every officer within the state of Texas to know and understand and be able to um, practice in order to have their basic level of certification. Okay. Um, you know, 
other departments uh, will go and, and train on different things uh, predicated on on their community uh, and their their community's needs. Uh, so it's a little bit it becomes a little bit more individualized. Um, in terms of other standardization, there is a, uh, a standardization program um, that that we are actually uh, a, a part of and have been certified with. It's uh, called CALEA. Um, it's the uh, Commission for Accreditation for Law Enforcement Agencies. Um, and that is a, a, a multinational uh, set of standards uh, or best practices uh, that uh, that is set for law enforcement. And in order to become CALEA accredited, uh, you have to, as a department, demonstrate here are our policies and here are the CALEA standards that these policies uh, align with. Then on top of that, you have to show as a department, here is an instance of when we abided by this particular CALEA accreditation standard. Um, and so, you know, that accreditation happens once every three years, I believe, uh, for our police department. Um, and uh, just recently, our uh, uh, communications division, our uh, dispatch, uh, went through the accreditation process uh, for CALEA for telecommunications. Uh, and we're proud to say that uh, they were also accredited as a as a telecommunications division um, and not just as part of the uh, police department as, as, as well. So there are some baseline standards. Um, obviously, that's going to vary uh, by department across the country. Um, the uh, We are CLIA accredited here in Frisco. Uh, there are other agencies that are not, but uh, it is recognized, at least in the law enforcement industry, if you want to call it that, uh, amongst law enforcement professionals as something to aspire to, uh, as, as recognized best practices, uh, and to be able to um, give your community a level of trust to say, we abide by these standards because we want to maintain this raising the bar of the level of professionalism that, that we have uh, and, and are willing to hold ourselves and expect our citizens to hold us accountable to as well. You mentioned earlier that the, that the process for tr training is usually about a year long, a year long process to, to, to uh, start with the, uh, with the police department. Uh, but I'm assuming that it's an ongoing process. You're, you're always training and upgrading and, and new directives come through, uh, you know, uh, Gene, you mentioned that you've been in, in law enforcement for 18 years. I would imagine that there's several instances of recertifications, new training programs. Are those required for you to take, or are those things that you are, are made available to you and you can grab as many of them as, as you as you want? Uh, it's actually both. Uh, so there are, you know, there are new, when new legislation comes out, some of those things are required through the state that we that we start taking. And then there's other certifications that you can receive throughout your career and you seek that training out and uh, a lot of officers do that. Uh, I can speak for Frisco, we're, we're a very well-trained department. If you show interest in something, uh, our department has, has really backed us up and, and they help us be trained up in that area so that they can have 
those extra people that are interested in certain topics uh, go and get the training so they can bring it back and, and teach the rest of the department in those things. So it, it's kind of both. Uh, you can, there are certain things that are going to be mandated and things have changed over my career, that's for sure, and, and new classes and things that have come up that, you know, uh, lawmakers and law, law enforcement professionals have, have decided that we definitely need. And then there's other classes that you can specialize in and, and go and, uh, and uh, take those classes on your own with the uh, backing of your department. So you spend your life, you know, you're almost like doctors. You're on call 24 uh, seven. If you're needed, you've got to respond. What do you do in your downtime? You know, when you've got, when you're, you're off shift or so, and you've got a little bit of, bit of time, is it simply just a, a decom, decompressing or do you have hobbies that you enjoy just getting out and saying, Hey, this is my way to, to escape reality. I'm, I'm curious. You know, that, you know, I think each officer is different. So I'll just answer, you know, for my, for me personally, um, you know, when, when it's, when it's time to de decompress, um, it, it's time to be off the clock for a little bit. Um, one of the things I do is I enjoy, you know, obviously I enjoy spending time with my family. Um, I, you know, I have a, a wife and a, a beautiful, almost seven year old uh, little girl and, you know, spending time with them um, and not worrying about other things, going for bike rides, going to movies, hopefully soon. <laughs> Um, you know, whatever, whatever we can go do, um, just to spend time as, as a, as a family. Um, we're fortunate enough that, uh, my parents and my uh, wife's parents, they live within the Metroplexes as well. So we, you know, try to uh, spend time with, with them as, as well. Um, but, you know, I also enjoy woodworking. Uh, I enjoy building uh, projects for, for my family and, and, and others. And it's a nice way to just decompress and, you know, put the headphones on and, get involved into a, a specific project and I you know, love to smell some walnut sawdust fill the air and, and, and just smells amazing and just kind of kind of relaxes. Um, I also enjoy fishing, um, but I also enjoy just sitting in the media room and watching the movie and not doing a whole lot. Um, so, but that's, that's how I decompress. I know Gene's probably a little different. Yeah. So uh, the way I decompress is I'm just, I'm, my family is everything to me. So, you know, when I go home and it's my wife and I, I have three kids, uh, they're about, my youngest is twice the age as Evan's daughter. So my youngest is 14 and I have a 16 year old daughter and then a 19 year old son. And then my wife, uh, when I'm around them, it's everything's right in the world. Uh, so they understand the stresses that I have in the job and they've been my perfect stress release. And as corny as it sounds, my, my family is my, is the way that I, I decompress. Uh, they're everything to me. So it's, it's so, you know, a lot of the things that you see in this job are, are bad. You know, you're, you're always, you know, a lot of the times you're not talking to people on their best day that they've had. It's, it's usually their worst day. So the fact that you can go home to, a group that loves you unconditionally and you know that you're safe, you know, that's, that's a, that's a big thing for me. Uh, so my family's absolutely everything with my, with my kids, we're all involved in, they're all involved in sports. Uh, my oldest plays uh, college baseball. 
I coached his baseball. I coached football for my for my other for my youngest son. Uh, coaching was always a good release for me. I don't know if it was stress free because I'm not the most calm person in the world. Uh, my daughter runs cross country. Uh, I can't participate in that like she does because uh, she just leaves me behind. So that's a lot less hanging out with her. Uh, but just being with my family, just, you know, you feel safe. And, you know, for a lot of officers to have that ability to feel safe where you're not looking over your shoulder is just a huge relief. So when we're with those people that we love, that we know we're safe with, it takes a, it takes a lot of stress off of us. Uh, and then, you know, just doing things outside, you know, we go hiking and we go camping and, and things like that. And just being with my family ultimately is, is the best, best thing for, for me to uh, decompress from the job of being in law enforcement. You know, you, you said that, that it seemed corny. It, 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 it isn't uh, because I have had the, the pleasure asking that same question uh, to firefighters, to people in high stress level jobs, to uh, healthcare workers. And most of them say exactly the same thing, that when they are on, on the clock, they are just totally 100% focused on what the job is at hand. When they go on the clock, they really do want the shelter of their family. They just be surrounded by people that don't criticize or judge or you know yeah another thing that i'll i'll ask you do you ever walk in the house and your 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 wives say to you so how was work today dear or do they know hey when he's home don't ask him about work so i'll start with that one my uh that the answer to that question has actually changed over the course of my career um, so when I was, you know, first starting out, I wanted to get home and I couldn't wait to tell my wife about everything that I did on shift that day. Um, as it went on, I found out and started realizing, okay, she doesn't need to know everything that happened on, on shift that day. Um, so I made her a promise and, uh, and she's kept me to it that, if she asks me how work was and I say, fine, nothing else needs to be said. But if she ever detects a, a piece of where fine may not actually be true, um, she, she allows, she's, she's allowed to prod. Um, but I also promised her that if there was something that was bothering me, that she and I would have an open dialogue about that. Um, and, you know, we've had, we've had open dialogues this week um, because, you know, what has gone on and what I've seen has bothered me. Um, and so, she, you know, the other night we, we stayed up a little later than I wanted to because I had to get up a little, um, get up early. But, um, you know, we, we sat and we, we had that conversation. We had that tough conversation about how I was feeling. And, and, uh, and just to get the emotion and the, and the, the stress off because, um, number one, it's not fair for me to take that home and expect her to bear the brunt of it. Um, you know, but just talking it out uh, helps. So you know, there have been things on shift that I've seen that uh, that have, have have bothered me. And so I say, I, I promise I will always talk to you about that. And number two, if you can't help me and talk me through it, I promise that I'll seek that professional help just to to, to work through that. Um, 
you know, and that's, that's something I don't think a lot of uh, cops openly talk about. Um, one thing that our department is doing is we're going through a training process of training our entire department in uh, stress management and being resilient on the job. Um, so that the things that we see don't compress to a point of combustion. Um, and so that we have those, those safe, those safe. Good way to put yeah. Gene. Uh, so for me, it's, it's a little bit different. Uh, I'm absolutely blessed with, with my wife. She was the chief administrator for the sheriff's office for a very long time. So she spends a lot of time, has spent a lot of time around, you know, law enforcement herself. So she definitely has an insight to, uh, you know, some of the things that, that I've seen. And we've always had very good conversations. She, it's almost like I don't have to say when I need to talk about something. She picks up on those cues very well. Uh, she's, the, she's the best thing in my life. She keeps me centered. Uh, also, when I've had a very stressful day and I go home and forget that I'm at home and not on the job, she's she's quick to say, "Hey, you're not working right now. These aren't these. This is your family, not the not the the people, not the community. You can let that down." Uh, and that's very very good for us to have somebody in our life that can do that, that can reset us and say, "Hey, this is this is a safe place." Uh, so with my wife, we we talk anything that bothers me. Uh, I'm, I'm a very vocal person as it is. I'm, I have a lot of opinions on a lot of things. So she gets to hear a lot of, uh, a lot of my thoughts. Uh, and, you know, she's always been a great listener and she's also been able to tell me whenever I might be out of bounds and, and need to bring it back in. So with my wife, it's, it's been one of the, it's been one of the blessings of my career because a lot of the stresses that could possibly get pinned up inside she's there to just naturally talk to me and and make sure that i i'm not taking on all those burdens by myself so i'm truly blessed in that sense do you think you contribute part of that to the fact that she has also had a career in law enforcement uh it could be or it could just be that's the the kind of person she is so you know i whatever it is i'm i'm very happy that that's the way she is you know, you both you both said you know that come home from work and uh, they don't know what's been going on with your your day and if they ask and as you said, Evan, uh, uh, it was fine. You just let it go with that. Unfortunately, that today we we have these little things around. We are so socially connected that it, sometimes uh, it, it may be difficult for you to walk in that door. Uh, knowing that they may already know what's been going on today because it is so instant, right in your face, we know what's happening. If there was a very bad accident or something that you had to respond to and all, they know about it as, as it's happening. And sometimes I think that that may not be a good thing. Certainly what happened to George Floyd, the whole country knew about it within moments of it happening. And that may have fueled some of the rage that poured out into the streets because of what poured out into the streets because of the injustice that was done. Now, 
your department and every other department had to go into a higher state of alert knowing something might flare up. And so you have to move into that state of readiness because of that. And that happened within a matter of hours. Within a day or so, there were demonstrations in the streets. And again, part of it was fueled by rage. That led to looting that I don't honestly think was, was part of what the protesters were all about. Uh, it was, and, then, and then once everything seemed to calm and, and, and they reviewed the situation and felt that these officers, yes, were, were you know, to blame for the situation, now the demonstrations are more a demonstration of brotherhood and unity and, and arm in arm, knowing, knowing that we can be a better a better than this. Uh, there was a there was a uh, uh, rally earlier this week here in Frisco. There's going to be another one tomorrow uh, uh, afternoon uh, from from Warren Park again. But the 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 group that's going to be marching tomorrow, I think, even has a more calm uh, 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 focus on what they're marching for uh, tomorrow than even the one that they did earlier in the week. And I think I'm, we're starting to see that uh, across the country. Do you see that we are really kind of over the hill on that, that uh, uh, the anger part of it? And now maybe we are all seeing that we can be better by understanding the public, the sentiments, the injustices, the, the uh, involvement of all of our agencies, and now coming together to right the wrongs that have been done. Uh, you know, I, I, I hope that's the, the reason. Do you, do you see this as a learning process? I think it's absolutely a learning, a learning process. I mean, to kind of go back a few, a few questions there, um, <clears throat> what what you're seeing, you're talking about getting over this, this hump um, and people are, are, are angry. And I think what we have to recognize and let's call it what it is, people are grieving. This is a grief process that the country is having to go through. Um, you know, black Americans are having to grieve. Uh, uh, here is another black man that was um, killed at the hands of police. Um, we have to recognize that uh, white Americans are also grieving and are also angry because, you know, they're, to some extent, I think a lot of people have uh, been behind us and, and us being a police officer in other situations. Um, and uh, this is one that they can't reconcile. Um, and, you know, we can't either. We can't reconcile uh, this particular case. Um, and so, you know, we are working through that grief process uh, together. Um, and I think it's important to know, you know, that the majority of police across America, you know, we're, we're all grieving together to get over the anger part of it, um, you know, and move, move down the road towards dialogue, towards uh, taking that dialogue and putting it into action. Um, and then taking those actions and leading to what we hope is ultimately healing um, within the country, 
between the communities. Um, you know, there, there doesn't need to be any divide between um, the police and the community. One of the oldest rules of policing is that the police are the community and the community are the police. Um, you know, the ones that put on the uniforms are the, are the ones that have dedicated their lives to the profession of protection. But, you know, everybody in the community has that responsibility um, to, for lack of a better, just be a good neighbor, be a good citizen, um, you know, stand up for what's right. And I think we're seeing a lot of that. But, you know, this is going to be a process. Um, you know, we can't have this demonstration tomorrow um, or this conversation today and expect that by Monday everything's going to be back to normal. We have to accept the fact that this is going to be a, uh, another process, a continuing process for real change and lasting change um, that, that needs to happen, uh, not just within policing, but within the cultural fabric of society that we live in. Um, and so moving forward, you know, I, I'm looking forward to the day that we can get beyond this initial stage that we're still in right now of the grieving process um, to move forward and, and, and have these types of dialogues. You know, and we, we as a community have to have to realize and understand and accept that our police, our police officers, uh, our, they're our neighbors too. They're not an outside agency that comes in to, to govern. They are our neighbors and they have, have very much the same feelings that, that, that we have. Uh, we, we, we've spent, uh, we've spent a fair amount of time this morning. I, I, I thank you. I, uh, we're really, time is, is up. You guys need to get back to doing what, what, what you can't thank you enough for taking the time to, to share with, with our audience. Of uh, your viewpoints, your insights, uh, your your knowledge, your concern for the community and what you do. And again, I will say, I cannot thank you on behalf of all the citizens of our city and all for what you do to make sure that there is a, a cohesive understanding between our, our police department and our citizens. Uh, thank you very much, both Evan and, and Jean. Thank you for taking the time. Absolutely. Um, you know, just wanted if I have a little time real, real quick, you know, if sure. anybody has a, has a question um, for us uh, as a police department, you know, please ask us. We, we want to be there and be the ones to answer that direct. You know, our, our line of communication is, 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 is open. Um, so we ask, you know, like a boss says, with an open door policy, you know, we're, we're an open door. We're an open book. Uh, please come come talk to us. We want to have these conversations with you as a as a community member um, more than you think we might. Uh, and that that I hope that doesn't come to a surprise, but I'm not surprised if it does. Um, you know, we we want to have these these conversations. Uh, next week, um, I think on the 15th, our community is hosting a a, a town hall uh, in in uh, relation to this. Um, so that's you know that's something that that we're uh, looking forward to being a uh, a part of uh, with the community, so that we can have these these types of conversations, and that that leads to more action uh, and, and and more practices that uh, that can 
lead to that lasting change that I know uh, people are looking for. Yeah, and uh, Stuart, just to add on what uh, Sergeant Matei had said, uh, for us here at Frisco, if you have questions, we're always available. Uh, we'll do whatever we can to uh, answer those questions and, and make sure that you understand what we're doing. Uh, but to the people that uh, you know that haven't had experiences with us, you know, I'm, I'm a firm believer is your perception is your reality. That's your truth that you live in. And if you have a certain perception, go and meet your police officers. Go and see if they have a Citizens Police Academy. Go see if they have volunteer or talk to the chiefs or or those type of things and learn who your police officers are underneath the badge. Uh, and then you're going to have a better understanding of the, of the people that are, are there to serve you. Uh, here we're, I feel like we're a very blessed department. We have some of the best men and women that have ever put a badge on their chest. And I know that across the country, people would uh, say the same thing about the department they work for, but I would put us up against anybody with, with how we, interact with our community, how we interact uh, with the, each other. We're, we're definitely a, a unique department is how I feel. So go learn, go learn about the police department. If you, if you have questions about why they do things, go question them. They, they work for you. Go, go have a, a meaningful dialogue where you know why uh, things were done. And then it's going to help you have an experience. And we know that experience is the only thing that's going to change perceptions. Uh, and the same thing is for police officers, you know, they have to have experiences with people in their community. You have to treat the people that you police like your neighbors, you know, somebody that you see every day. And, I'm also uh, hoping that maybe once we get get finished with this forced separation and everything, we'll get back to having that cops and coffee and get the public out there to shake hands with, with all of you uh, and, 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 and get us back to that new normal. So right. again, Evan Matei and Gene Willis, thank you very, very much for, for being who you are and, and, and the, the serving our community the way you do. Thank you Thanks. very thank much. Thank you so much. And to those of you who have tuned in today, thank you again for being a part of the program and being uh, with us for someone you should know. Look forward to seeing you again right here next week again. Take care of yourselves in the meantime. Be well.